Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Very pleased uh, to welcome to the program uh, Donovan Tilsey. Um, he is a goal gold medalist in the Paralympics. He has been a gold medalist in the Paralympics. He has led a fascinating life in in spite of the fact that uh, he's only spent four decades on this planet. He's accomplished a lot, done a lot, experienced a lot in a a short amount of time. And uh, rumor has it he's even a fan of this show. Donovan, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me on. It's a real honor to uh, to come on the show. Now, just so folks understand your story, uh, Donovan, because it does color some of what we're going to be talking about. You were born you were born blind, right? I was born completely blind with a condition known as uh, Leber's congenital amaurosis, uh, which is similar to RP, retinitis pigmentosa, which uh, for me, in my case, I was basically born without the use of, of my retinas. So effectively been completely 100% blind since birth. And how was that? I mean, maybe it sounds like such a naive question, and I'm sure you get this all the time. But what was that like growing up? I, I'm sure in some ways it's more difficult than someone who once had sight and lost it. But I could see a number of scenarios in which maybe it was a bit easier because this was the only life you ever knew. What was your experience growing up blind? Frank, I would say I think it's definitely easier because I've spent enough time and met other blind and visually impaired people over the years. And I know that losing sight, especially later in life, uh, can be a real psychological challenge. Uh, It's losing your identity. It's losing your independence. You're just talking about uh, the ability to drive, which is obviously one thing that I can't do. And for somebody, say, who's grown up and been able to see and can drive and can get around independently uh, that way, and then having that taken from you, that would be a that would be a huge challenge. But basically, for me, this is all I've known, and I'm quite lucky in that I grew up in a family with uh, with parents. My 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 dad. Uh, Unfortunately, passed away seven and a half years ago. Oh, was sorry. Uh, was, no, no, he was a physician. He was a doctor. Oh, um, well, then good riddance. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, ironically, he himself, he was an endocrinologist, but passed away of pancreatic cancer. So it just goes the way the world. Oh, well, that's, but that's but right. he, and it was a doctor, and my mom I was a nurse. And so being born, I guess, into a medical family, uh, they went through the whole gamut of emotions when their first son, me, came up blind, but they realized that just because I couldn't have or didn't have sight, uh, there was no reason why I couldn't be exposed to anything else that a child with sight would be exposed to. So it meant that I was uh, involved in various activities, uh, sports, artistic, uh, from a young age, and they are also... Uh, very strong in, you know, teaching me 
things that sighted people uh, would normally take for granted. Like, say, if you're talking to somebody, you look up at their face, you look them in the eye, uh, you present yourself in a certain way, uh, you know, don't rock back and forth when you're talking to people or do weird mannerisms so that, you know, people will accept and understand you. Uh, because they knew that as a blind person, there would be a few more challenges to overcome in the world. And yeah, if it weren't weren't for them, I definitely wouldn't be here today. Well, that's great. And uh, I know you, you talk about involvement in sports. I know you've always had an affinity for swimming, which we're going to talk about in in a minute. But like a lot of blind people that I've met over the years, you're a, a big radio fan. But unlike a lot of radio fans that I've met over the years, you were the co-founder of something called 101.5 Whistler FM. What is that? What is Whistler FM? So for those who don't know, Whistler is the ski resort town about two hours north of Vancouver. Um, and skiing was one of the sports that uh, I have always enjoyed throughout the years. And some years ago, I guess 15, 20 years ago, uh, my dad and I uh, connected with a guy who owned a radio or was the president of a radio station in Vancouver and had this idea that we would um, purchase a low-power tourist information station in Whistler, um, turn around the product, product, make it sound good, and then apply to the uh, CRTC, kind of Canada's version of the FCC, uh, to get a local um, commercial music station on the ground. And this guy thought, wisely, uh, we got Donovan on the team, who's blind, a visible minority, uh, we have a good chance of getting the license. And so we, we went through that process, uh, and we ended up um, getting the license for the uh, Music FM station. Uh, unfortunately, it came, came to a point where my dad and I uh, got bought out before the station actually started. Uh, but that being said, it's been going strong for about 11 years uh, now, and I'm still very close friends with the guy who, who runs it. So to be... Uh, kind of in behind the scenes watching a radio station get built, uh, being a part of the launch, even uh, uh, making up Braille labels for the control board so that I could potentially operate it. Well, yeah, it was a, it was yeah. a pretty major um, thing to be a part of. And for somebody who's loved radio, I got to tell you, um, and I think there, I, I know for a fact that I'm sure you've got a, a bunch of other blind listeners, but radio has always been the soundtrack to my life. Anytime I go to a new city, to be able to check out a radio station, turn it on, hear the personalities, uh, it's really something that's been important to me for essentially since age five or six. Uh, which has also led me down a, a path of learning about radio uh, from the past. Like, I don't think I would have uh, found your show, ultimately, if I hadn't years ago gone down the Music Radio 77 WABC rabbit hole and uh, found that amazing tribute site from uh, Alan Sniffen and uh, the New York Radio message board and um, got to listen to all those great air checks from the past which has kind of led me to to have a far greater understanding and appreciation for the medium. Well, that that's terrific, uh, except for the fact that, you know, Alan Sniffen doesn't allow any positive comments about me to be posted on that message board. So other than that, everything you said is, uh, is just terrific. Now, uh, I thought that I was doing the right thing by my son by trying to get him swimming lessons when he's starting at a, a year and a half old. I said, we're well, starting him off young. This is going to be great. Apparently, your parents 
parents uh, put me to shame because they had you in the pool before you were even six months old. And by nine years old, you had joined your first swim team. What swim team are you joining at nine years old? It was the swim team from our our local club that we were a part of. And basically the coach was watching uh, my dad and I uh, interact on the pool deck. My dad coached uh, back in a previous life as a a, uh, teenager, young adult, and would suggest to me at age nine that we would race across the pool, a 25-meter pool, and... You know, one week I would get in and do the, the length in 23 seconds, and then the next it would be 22. And then uh, I still remember when my mom got me that Speedo, and I was able to do it in under 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and this coach said, hey, this is, uh, Donovan might have some potential here as a swimmer. Uh, maybe he'd like to join the swim team. And I thought it would be a great way to kind of build on that, um, meet some other friends, um, and pursue something that I was becoming really passionate about. Well, uh, that's terrific. When did you have an inkling that you wanted to pursue participating in the Paralympics? You know, I was 12 years old, and I, had, uh, I was attending my first ever um, provincial for the province of uh, British Columbia a championship, the BC Games for Athletes with Disabilities. And I met a couple of people there who were about to go to Atlanta, because it was then 1996, and compete in the, in the Paralympics. And up until that time, I had no idea that such a thing even existed for somebody with a disability to keep, compete at that elite, elite level. And so basically, I kept that in the back of my mind, continued to swim and, and train and develop. And in about 1999, so the, the year before that, uh, the Sydney Games, um, my dad basically offered to coach me full-time. So before I would go to school and before he, he would go to work, uh, and we started on this amazing journey, and I was able to drop my uh, times enough to qualify to make the games in 2000, and walked away from Sydney w- uh, at age 16 with a bronze medal in the 200 individual medley. Uh, that is absolutely outstanding. We're talking with Donovan uh, Donovan Tilsey. Uh, he was a gold medalist in the Paralympics at the uh, 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. So you were only 16 years old? I was only 16. And then, sorry to correct you, Fred, I, that's the one thing I never did win at the Paralympics was a gold. I got, I got a bronze in Sydney uh, in, in, at age 16. Yeah, it was incredible. In, in Athens, in Greece in 2004, I got two silvers and a bronze. And then in Beijing, I was able to with, walk away with another bronze, but had kind of a I had a gold medal opportunity, which was to be the uh, the flag bearer for Canada at the uh, opening ceremonies. Oh, you never even won a gold medal. I never won a gold oh, medal. Don, I know. All right, what, it was. I was pathetic. good. It was good talking to you. I mean, uh, <laughs> thanks anyway. <laughs> well, no, uh, I don't know where I got that from. It's somewhere in my notes. That I have a uh, gold medal, but uh, it's still, uh, it's still, it's pretty impressive. It's not as impressive since I've been touting you as a gold medalist for the last two and a half hours. But it's still, uh, it's still pretty. It's still pretty good. So, how many cities and how many different Olympic games in all did you end up participating in? Four Paralympic Games, so Sydney in 2000, Athens in 2004, uh, Beijing in 08, 
uh, in London in 2012. Did did not medal in London by that time. I was, I was the world was getting faster. I was getting older, and I also had a knee injury. Uh, and then I retired in April 2014. And then other Sydney's cities around the world I went to for world championships, like the. Um, I went to uh, Mar del Plata in Argentina in 2002 and uh, Melbourne for Commonwealth Games in 06, a few trips to to Germany for different meets over there. So basically all over the world, although, you know, not to uh, to romanticize the whole sport journey any, any less, but really when you're competing at that level, you're not really your time seeing a city is maybe limited to one or two afternoons out of wow. that uh, two-week time. You're seeing the insides and outsides of pools. I, I can, No, I can imagine. Well, one of the things that I'm hoping you can do, Donovan, is educate people a little bit as to what the Paralympic Games are and how the, and the, the caliber of athlete that participates. Because I think a lot of regular people, and this, this is my impression in talking to folks about various Olympics, they they view the Olympics where, you know, uh, Mark Phelps, uh, Mar- Mark Spitz and Michael Phelps participated. They view that as the creme de la creme as athletes. And then they view something like the Special Olympics as something that any developmentally disabled person can participate in. And I don't know that a lot of people necessarily have an understanding at all of what the Paralympics are. Is the Paralympics something that you can get into if you just happen to swim and you're blind? Or does it have kind of an Olympic level of competitive spirit? Oh, that's a great question, Frank, and very much so. You've got to... uh... Although, although it's evolved, for sure. When I started in 2000, um, the Paralympics were gaining a profile. Uh, they were nowhere near as competitive as they are now. They were still very grassroots in certain comp- uh, countries. So basically, in order to qualify for the Paralympics, uh, you have to qualify for a ter- certain time standard. And that varies from country to country. And uh, the qualification time is usually based off, it's based off a point system, uh, whereby the world record in that event is 1,100 points. And uh, if you, um, the closer you get to it, the higher level point, uh, point score you have. What I've got to say has changed the Paralympics are a couple different things. First and foremost, we're now seeing, especially in the U.S., um, many soldiers who have been uh, injured in the various wars, various conflicts, are being strongly encouraged to compete in the Paralympics. So I got to tell you, in 2012, one of my main competitors was a fellow by the name of Brad Snyder. Brad had uh, been a college-level athlete and was a member of the Marine Corps uh, until he had an unfortunate accident in Afghanistan, which blew out both of his corneas. Um, This, anyway, speaking to Brad's uh, spirit as an individual, as a soldier, as a man, he rather than let his disability get in the way, within six weeks of losing his eyesight, was up, back, running uh, triathlons. And a year to the day of going blind, he was winning a gold medal at the London Paralympic Games. So as as much as I hate to be beat, I was honored to be beat by a guy with that amount of courage. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. 
depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. I, I can uh, I can absolutely imagine. Uh, we're talking with Donovan Tidsley. He has been blind since birth, but he's been doing pretty exciting things, pretty impressive things since birth as well. Tell me about uh, what you're doing now with Virgin Voyages Caribbean Cruise Line. I, I saw some articles uh, from just September as to uh, your new role with them. What are you doing with them? How did that come about? What, right now with Virgin, I am acting as an accessibility consultant. And basically this story started last November when I, uh, on uh, recommendation of my travel agent, took a Virgin Voyages cruise out of Miami. Now, I flew to Miami by myself. Uh, I travel quite a bit solo, uh, being, a, being a single guy. And I, this was not my first cruise. It was probably my third or fourth cruise um, because I'd been on uh, Norwegian and Princess. And so I'm on the Virgin Voyages cruise for about two and a half hours. We're still in the harbor. Two people come up to me on the ship and say, uh, Mr. Tilsley, uh, I'm, we're sorry to say this, but we've determined that it's not safe for you as a solo blind traveler on this ship. So you're going to have to get off the boat. And I said, are, are you serious? Like, you know that I've actually, I've traveled the world by myself in, in swimming. I even have gone to South Africa on my own, not the safest place. And you're telling me that I need to get off the ship and it's not safe for you. And they said, no, this has come down from Virgin Corporate uh, Legal. And I basically said, okay. Uh, and as I get off the ship, I calmly say, you know, this is going to be in the media. I'm, I'm fortunate in that my love for radio and, and broadcasting, I, I have quite a few friends in media back mm-hmm. in Vancouver. And so I, I put it out on Facebook. Um, right away, the tweet was picked up. One of my uh, um, friends is a morning man on a, um, Jack FM here in Vancouver. He tweeted it out. He included Richard Branson in the tweet. Wow. Of course, Branson uh, is the, the, leads this empire. And within four hours of me getting uh, ejected from the boat, I get a call from Frank Weber, who's the VP at Virgin Voyages, uh, apologizing for what had happened, saying what a huge miscommunication. He basically offered to fly me to Honduras to meet the ship two days later. And I kind of said, okay, like, to to be completely honest, the last thing I wanted to do on my week-long vacation was to be in some sort of battle and... These guys seemed really sincere about wanting to make things right. And uh, Frank, uh, the VP, took me out for dinner the next night. And one of the things I said is, what I would love to do is find a way to speak to your team about accessibility and how to make things better for people who are are blind or visually impaired. And he said, "Uh, great idea. We don't do a lot of in-person meetings, but uh, I think you're onto something. To make a long story short, uh, last uh, just over the summer, I signed a, a contract with Virgin to act, to act as an accessibility consultant. So basically, they do um, phone calls with me, and we review various procedures and uh, parts of the, the Virgin journey, whether from booking a trip to getting on board the ship to disembarking. Uh, they gave me a free cruise this past summer. I got to go to Greece. Uh, as a part of a 50th anniversary cruise and actually met Sir Richard Branson, which was a huge honor. And then uh, next month, I'm back in uh, Miami uh, on a cruise 
shooting some uh, film content uh, for teaching modules for the team. So just goes to show that, you know, I was able to turn a, a negative experience around into a positive. And what I really hope for all of this is that my story and experience makes certain that this does not happen to anybody else who's blind or visually impaired. Absolutely. Uh, that sounds like uh, you took a what could have been a really awful story, which a lot of people might have just been inconvenienced by and unhappy with, and you channeled this into something uh, really positive. So that's good for you. Donovan, as, as you mentioned, we have a lot of folks that listen to this program who happen to be blind. A couple of people have even called in uh, while we've been on the phone here. What advice do you have for someone that has had sight and then lost it? Obviously, you come from a very different life experience, but in some ways, uh, maybe you could help guide them a bit into things they should keep in mind, things they should uh, do, things they should learn. Anything you could tell someone that was formerly sighted? Continue to put yourself out there. Don't let the fact that you can no longer see encumber your ability to get out and enjoy the world even though you'll have to enjoy it differently so if you could see and and like to ski um go and and figure out how to get into an adaptive ski program so you can ski as a blind person you uh you like being outdoors or, or cycling there's tandem cycling um travel find people that you trust people that will support you uh, people that you can depend on to, to go places with. The worst possible thing you can do is stay inside your house and think, um, my life is over, because really there are so many things out there, and once you overcome that initial fear, which is, yeah, in my easier said than done for a lot of people, you're going to see how rich the world is, even as a blind person. Hey, Donovan, that is uh, terrific. If people are interested in learning more about you, uh, where can we direct them? You want to encourage folks to follow you on Twitter at Donovan Speaks? At Donovan Speaks? Uh, yeah, that's my Twitter on, on Instagram, as you call it. I'm uh, the blind guy underscore. Uh, I do have a, a Facebook page, not a, not a fan page, just a re- regular f- uh, page, Donovan Tilsley, and you can uh, look me up there. Uh, and if you are visually impaired, blind, want any advice, direction, support, I'm, I'm always happy to, to, to speak and hear what you have to say. Terrific. Well, uh, my wife is in the market for some blinds, so she's going to reach out to you at uh, your Instagram handle, The Blind Gry. So, uh, Donovan, I really enjoyed this. I appreciate it. And uh, I want to thank another fellow that's been a guest on this show, a great actor uh, by the name of uh, Tim Kelleher, who first uh, brought you to my attention. And uh, I'm certainly glad that he did. Uh, I am as well. I just met Tim a few weeks ago, and we uh, uh, I'm helping him with a fundraiser for uh, um, sending medical supplies to Ukraine, and we bonded over our love of New York radio and our love for your show. And before I go, i got to say, you need to get the show in, in Canada. You are probably the best talk radio host, talk radio show going on at this uh, you know, point in time, and it would be a real service to the Canadian markets to, uh, to have you on the radio. Uh, that is very kind of you, uh, Donovan. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that, and uh, hope we'll, hopefully we'll talk again. I'm sure we will, Frank. Thank you, uh, Donovan Tilsley, a, not a gold medalist, but a medalist in the Paralympics multiple times, and uh, these days working with Virgin, helping them 
improve their services for the blind. Hey, if you want to comment for 15 seconds, you can do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.